0: So there was a lot of bad answers from Biden and, frankly, sleepy moments. But to me, this is the most newsworthy thing that he said, which is, frankly, kind of, sort of, just openly condoning racism. Let's take a, li- take a listen to what he said when asked about the filibuster and whether he thought he agreed with President Obama on the filibuster basically being a, a, an, a, a vessel of racism and Jim Crow. I have a question for you, but first, I'd like to follow up on a question from Yamish, and that's on the filibuster. That counts as
1: a question, but go ahead.
0: Okay, I'll make it quick. It's a quick question. No, no, you can.
1: Uh,
0: Regarding the filibuster, at John Lewis's funeral, President Barack Obama said he believed the filibuster was a relic of the Jim Crow era. Do you agree? Yes. If not, why not abolish it if it's a relic of the Jim Crow era?
1: Successful electoral politics is the art of the possible. Let's figure out how we can get this done and move in the direction of significantly changing the abuse of even the filibuster rule first. It's been abused from the time it came into being by an extreme way in the last 20 years. Let's deal with the abuse first
0: you're moving closer to eliminating the filibuster. Is that correct?
1: I answered your question.
0: Wow. Oh my God. Can you imagine for a second if that was Donald Trump up there? And when asked if this was a relic of Jim Crow, he had that long pause? Oh, how do I answer without revealing I'm a racist? How do I answer? First of all, first of all, first of all, And by the way, I mean, I don't do this often, credit to that CNN reporter, an actual question, an actual good question from a corporate journalist. So first of all, the president answers very directly, yes, I think the filibuster is racist. I think it is what Obama said, a tool, uh, essentially the filibuster originally uh, with political history was used by the southern states to block northern states who were trying to, you know, Pass civil rights legislation. So the filibuster was used by Southern states that didn't want that. So first of all, he answers very succinctly, yes, I think, basically I think it's racist. That's what Jim Crow is, racist. But when she does follow up, why not, then why not abolish it? Oh my Lord. You could run a marathon in the silence the amount of time he took to answer that question. Very simple. If you're saying it's racist, why not abolish it? Then he comes out with some poll-tested 1995 Democratic Leadership Council mumbo-jumbo word salad that politics is the art of the possible. Politics is the art of the possible. Let's figure out how to get something done. No direct answer to why not abolish this racist thing that you just admitted was racist and some vague answer on, you know, I'm not going to answer whether I'm for abolishing it per se. I'm going to just tell you politics is the art of the possible. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, he admitted right there, right there that it's racist yes I agree with President Obama this is a racist legislative tool but I ain't gonna answer whether we're gonna abolish it and I'm gonna give you some bullshit excuse my French swear jar just got demonetized I'm just gonna give you some nonsense uh, answer On not really answering whether we're going to try to abolish it, but give you some like West Wing, you know, that TV show West Wing that all the neoliberals love. West Wing twisted word salad about politics is the art of the possible. Politics is the art of the possible. Yeah. Yeah. Politics is the art of the possible. Politics is the art of the bullshit artists and people like Joe Biden, who, frankly, the media kind of didn't cover this part who palled around with Strom Thurmond and other segregationists and racists in the 1970s to stop progress and to stop things like busing black children into schools and trying to integrate schools. That's what that was about. So I don't don't know, man. I think it's a pretty, pretty newsworthy thing, which I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm live, so I'm not really watching whatever CNN's and MSNBC's response to this is. I'm sure it's adoring and slobbering. But could you imagine for a second if Trump or any Republican was at a press conference speaking to the press and the press got Trump to say, yeah, I think it is racist because that's what Jim Crow is. It's racism. And then when asked, "Okay, then why don't you get rid of it? They pause for a very deep thought. I mean, I counted at least six, seven second pause there and then give you some Total nonsense, vague, poll-tested, West Wing sanitized nonsense. What Joe Biden just said there. Yeah, it's racist, but we're not going to get rid of it. That's what he just said. How do you feel? And I'm not trying to be the white guy talking to black voters, but how do you, see, how do you feel vo- voters in Atlanta and Detroit and Milwaukee and all of these black neighborhoods that came out in very significant numbers? That's why Biden's president it's not the Republicans that voted for him. Trump got 93% of Republicans. So all that like never Trump Republican nonsense, that didn't happen. Trump got the overwhelming majority of Republican voters. It was African Americans in those cities: Atlanta, Milwaukee, Detroit, and a couple other cities. How do you feel about him basically telling you, yeah, I mean it is racist, but uh politics is the art of the politics is the art of the possible? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is painful. And of course, the media is not going to actually, like, press him on, wait a minute, you just admitted it's racist, so why is there any hesitation here, President Biden? Pathetic. I want to show another clip Biden asked about the filibuster, particularly.
1: Filibuster. So filibuster. Um, You know, with regard to the filibuster, I believe— we should go back to a position of the filibuster that existed just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. Um, and that is that it used to be required for the filibuster, and I, I had a card on this, I was gonna give you the statistics, but you probably know them, uh, that it used to be that, uh, the, that well, from between 1917 and 1971, the filibuster existed. There were a total of 58 motions to break a filibuster that whole time. Last year alone, there were five times that many. So it's being abused in a gigantic way. And, for example, it used to be you had to stand there and talk and talk and talk and talk until you collapsed. And guess what? People got tired of talking and tired of collapsing. Filibusters broke down, and we were able to break the filibuster get a quorum and vote. So I strongly support moving in that direction, in addition to having an open mind about dealing with certain things that are, are just elemental to the functioning of our democracy, like the right to vote, like the basic right to vote. We've amended the filibuster in the past. But here's the deal. As you observed, I'm a fairly practical guy. I want to get things done. I want to get them done consistent with what we promised the American people. And in order to do that, in a 50-50 Senate, we've got to get to the place where I get 50 votes so that the Vice President of the United States can break the tie, or I get 51 votes without her. And so I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done if you, if you holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, uh, I, I, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking
0: about. So let's just make something clear, because the media is not going to talk about this. The filibuster doesn't matter. What I mean by that is, yes, it's racist and they should get rid of it. But even if they got rid of the filibuster tomorrow, and I wish somebody in the media would have asked them this, even if they got rid of the filibuster tomorrow, what does it matter? The problem isn't, the, the overwhelming problem isn't the filibuster. The overwhelming problem is we have United States representatives in the House and the Senate who are bought off by corporations and big, big wealthy That's the problem. When you have... You know, the Democratic Party over the recent days, you know, nobody questions this or nobody points this out. Democratic Party, when there's a mass shooting, loves to talk about 90 percent of Americans want background checks, but we can't do it. 90 percent, 90 percent, 90 percent. And they're absolutely right. Okay, let's reduce that by 20. When 70 percent of Americans want Medicare for all, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Might be too extreme. I don't know. Might be too much. I don't know. How are we going to pay for it? So 90%, we have a moral imperative to act. 90%, we have a moral imperative to act. 70%, well, I don't know. My donors don't want it. $15 minimum wage. Overwhelming support. Including majorities of Republicans. 90% 90% want background checks? We have a moral imperative. 90% want background checks. However, I don't know the numbers, but the overwhelming majority want a minimum wage? Sorry. Senate parliamentarian. Senate parliamentarian. Let's just get, you know, this first deal through and then we'll focus on the minimum wage. The problem is not the filibuster. The problem is we don't live in a country. We live in the United Corporations of America. Let me repeat. We live in the United Corporations of America. So even if Biden got some courage, which he don't have it, and said, you want to know something? We are going to abolish the filibuster. It is a relic of Jim Crow, which he admitted before saying, I'm not going to get rid of it. Um, What are you going to do? You got Joe Manchin, who's a corrupt, basically a Republican. The media keeps saying, well, you know, somebody more liberal can't win in West Virginia. Absolutely somebody more liberal could win in West Virginia if they ran a progressive populist campaign. If you ran a progressive populist campaign and did and did strong organizing and had a smart media campaign, you could absolutely compete to win in West Virginia. Don't let the media gaslight you that only Joe Manchin can win in West Virginia. Uh Uh-uh, not true. But putting that aside, what are you going to do? Joe Manchin, he's bought off. Uh, Gene Shaheen from New Hampshire just said, ah, no, I don't know, I'm not for getting rid of the filibuster. She voted against the $15 minimum wage. You got Chris Coons and Tom Carper in Delaware, Biden's backyard. They voted against the minimum wage. So... Honestly, I don't want to minimize it because I completely understand, particularly black people, who say, get rid of the filibuster. It is racist. We absolutely should get rid of the filibuster. I don't want people to think I'm poo-pooing getting rid of the filibuster. But that's just step one. Step two is we don't live in a democracy. So even if you get rid of it, Biden himself said, well, we don't have necessarily 50 votes in the Senate for all these things. And why don't you? That is the question that the mainstream media will not ask. Senator Manchin, Senator Coons, Senator Carper, Senator Shaheen, Senator cinema I forget the rest that voted against the minimum wage increase. Why? Why are you voting against the interests of your own states? Minimum wage increase, popular in West Virginia. Overwhelmingly popular in Arizona, Crystal Ball and Sagar just did a segment how cinema's poll numbers went down in in Arizona because of her, you know, thumbs up shenanigans on the filibuster. So you're telling me, you're telling me that we're talking about the filibuster here, but nobody's asking, uh, what about these corrupt politicians that are literally, literally blocking their own constituents' wishes isn't, dem- isn't representative democracy about the popular will? Isn't representative democracy about uh, actually getting elected based on promises you make and then listening to the people that r- represented you? Apparently, the Democratic Party wants to talk the talk and-, and virtue signal over 90% of Americans want background checks when it's a cultural issue. Because the bottom line is obviously, gun control is a safety issue and I think a moral issue but it's more of one of those cultural issues. It's not an economic issue. So that's why they are very, very, very quick to jump on, look at the polls when it comes to cultural issues because their donors don't mind them doing that. Their donors do not mind the Democrats being strong on gun control because it doesn't affect their pockets. It does not affect the bank's pockets, the fossil fuels, big pharma, big real estate, Silicon Valley, if Democrats are strong on guns. It does affect them if you start looking at the polls on Medicare for all, on a $15 minimum wage, on actual economic issues. No, no, no. We can't look at the polls. Don't worry about popular sentiment. Doesn't really matter. I'm just, you know, let's just cut the crap. The media, you know, they're going to talk. They're going to react to his press conference all night in primetime tonight. They're going to make it like the filibuster is the issue. Frankly, the filibuster is not the issue. The filibuster is not the issue. It's a issue. And I agree with Obama. I agree with Biden. It, it, it is racist. It should be abolished. But let's not let them deflect and distract that this is the underlying issue in our democracy. And if we just get rid of the filibuster, all of a sudden, like mana from the heavens, progress will come. That's a bunch of bullshit. I want to play another clip uh, that I thought was pretty interesting. Here we go.
1: Americans on issues like immigration reform, gun control, voting rights, climate change. All of those right now are facing stiff, united opposition from Republicans on Capitol Hill. How far are you willing to go to achieve those promises that you made to the American people? Well, I'm good. Look, when uh, when I took office, I uh, decided that uh, it was a fairly basic, simple proposition and that is I got elected to solve problems. And the most urgent problem facing the American people, I stated from the outset, was COVID-19 and the economic dislocation for millions and millions of Americans. And so that's why I put all my focus in the beginning. There are a lot of problems, but all my focus on dealing with those particular problems. And the other problems we're talking about, from immigration to guns and the other things you mentioned, are long-term problems. They've been around a long time. And what we're going to be able to do, God willing, is now begin one at a time to focus on those as well. And whether it's immigration or guns or a number of other problems that face the country. But the fundamental problem is getting people some peace of mind so they can go to bed at night and not stare at the ceiling wondering where they lost their health insurance, whether they're going to lose a family member, whether they're going to be in a position where they're not going to be, they're going to lose their home because they can't pay their mortgage, or the millions of people are going to get thrown out of their homes because of the inability to, uh, to pay their rent. So we're, we're going to move on these one at a time, try to do as many simultaneous as we can, but that's the reason why I focused as I have. And here's the deal. I think my Republican colleagues are going to have to determine whether or not we want to work together or they will decide that the way in which they want to proceed is to, uh, is to uh, just uh, um, decide to divide the country, continue the politics of division. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to move forward and take these things as they come. And just to follow up, Mr. President, can your presidency be a success if you can't make progress on those four challenges, climate change, immigration reform, gun control, voting rights? Well, I plan on making progress on all of them, but that's going to be for the American people to decide. I think, you know, I, I doubt whether maybe you did, maybe others did.
0: I... I, I thought many of you thought so I don't need to read that whole i don't need to listen to that whole thing so there's a few key things in there peace of mind mr Biden president Biden says i was I was elected for to elect you know to solve problems now you were elected because you were the last guy standing to get rid of this maniac. There was nothing you weren't elected for anything about you particularly you only ran on one promise fifteen dollar minimum wage, which you've already moonwalked away from so When he says, we need to give peace of mind so people don't lose their health insurance, so people don't get evicted or foreclosed on. Yeah, I agree. The only problem is you, Mr. President, stand against all those things. And you haven't done a damn thing to give anybody peace of mind temporarily or permanently that they won't lose their health insurance, that they won't be evicted, and they won't be foreclosed. Let's go down the list. This is a man who has said, if Medicare for all, which has 70% popularity, let me repeat, 70% popularity. This is a man that says, we're not going to, you know, if it comes to me, I'm going to veto it. In the COVID relief bill that, you know, the media has been spinning as, oh, Biden's the new FDR. Oh, this is like the new, new deal. There's nothing, nothing about what happens when the music stops? What happens when the crisis is over? What happens when the pandemic is over? Uh, you got something for these people that owe ten to $20,000 in rent? Are behind $10,000, maybe more, $1,000 on their mortgage? Uh, your buddy, President Obama, he let the banks run wild on these people in 2009, 10, and 11. Foreclosures, as far as, this, far as the eye could see. Obama allowed, because he was bought off by the banks. Mr. Hope and Change took more money than anybody at that point from the banks. Well, Biden, if you noticed, in his CNN town hall, he used the phrase, our bill gives temporary eviction relief, temporary foreclosure relief. Well, you know, the New Deal wasn't temporary. Well, it was temporary because you know, the right wing and the right wing Democrats started taking a machete to it. Temper The New Deal had permanent change, permanent programs, permanent structural programs. Uh, this COVID relief bill, uh, you know, to his credit, the child tax credit, good. Some other things are good. It's all temporary. So what he's saying about giving peace of mind, how does anyone have peace of mind that in your COVID relief bill you gave I think it was like $60 billion or something ridiculous, to COBRA, the biggest for-profit healthcare scam on planet Earth. You know about COBRA. If you get fired, you could pay like $600 a month or something obscene just to keep your employer, just to keep your insurance from your previous employer. You got to pay $600 a month plus the normal deductibles, plus the normal copay. Nobody could afford that if you've lost your job. That's what they did in this COVID relief bill. Instead of expanding Medicare or even expanding Medicaid, they increased subsidies to COBRA, i.e. gave more money to their private health care donors and sold it as relief to you. Talk about gaslighting. Uh, so the bottom line is this guy's full of sh- The 1.9 coronavirus stimulus, I don't want to totally crap on it because there are some good things in it. Uh, but... It's a Band-Aid for an economic gunshot wound. We saw, we saw after the 2008 financial crash, these companies, they didn't hire back everybody when times were better. They just squeezed more juice out of the orange. They squeezed more. They they just made workers do more with less. And we're going to start seeing that. By the way, the last time I checked, I think the last jobs report, there's still 40% of the jobs that were lost in March and April have not returned. Let me repeat. For, uh, 40% of the jobs that were lost in March of April in 2020 have not returned. So Biden could spin it all he wants that help is on the way, which is another clip he said. Is help on the way? They keep saying poverty has been cut in half. Yeah, how so? Temporarily it's been cut in half. So what happens when the pandemic is over? The poverty just goes back by 50% by these temporary measures? How about a journalist ask, Why do we have so much poverty in this country, Mr. President, that it has to be cut in half? Why is all the wealth? Why has all the wealth in this country shot up? Uh, Look at that. Productivity, 240 percent increase, hourly compensation, pretty much flat. So why are we in such bad shape? Why is it? Why is it that if a pandemic or some unexpected disaster comes, millions of people lose their job, millions of people lose their health care? Because, key word, he said, we want to give peace of mind. Well, there is no way for anybody in America to have peace of mind that they are going to be protected, that if they get sick, where they have an unexpected health problem, that they are not going to go bankrupt. Because you, Mr. President, believe it is moral and it is right and it is just that people basically need to be employed to see a doctor. That people need to be employed to avoid bankruptcy from a medical disaster. That's your belief. That's your philosophy. That's what you ran on. And by the way, you ran against public sentiment because in the Democratic primary, if you remember, every single state, including Mississippi, by the way, the majority of voters in the Democratic primary favored Medicare for all. He's against it because his donors won't allow it. That's the truth. He's against it because his donors will not allow it. If you remember... This is what Biden told his donors behind closed doors. Corporate America has to change its ways. It's not going to require legislation because I ain't proposing any. We've got to think about how we deal people back in. So this statement right here, which he told people behind closed doors during the campaign, is a lot of what you saw in this press conference. It's all vague, vagueness, you know, West Wing, neoliberal, vague, empty platitudes. He literally Admitted, yeah, the Jim Crow, uh, the filibuster is racist. Oh, you're going to abolish it? Well, you know, politics is, you know, the art of the possible, you know. I'll get back to you on that. I mean, Jesus Christ. I don't know. Anybody else remember that, like, we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years? No, literally 20 years we've been in Afghanistan. Let's see. Did President Biden give a clear answer? Are we getting out of Afghanistan? What do you think? I want to ask you about Afghanistan. You face a May 1st deadline for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from that country. As a candidate in foreign affairs, you wrote that it is past time to end these forever wars. Can you commit to the American people that by May 2nd, the U.S. will no longer
1: have forces in Afghanistan? The answer is that it's going to be hard to meet the May 1 deadline just in terms of tactical reasons hard to get those troops out. So what we've been doing what I've been doing and what Secretary Blinken has been doing has been we've been meeting with our allies those other nations that have NATO allies who have troops in Afghanistan as well and uh, and if we leave, we're going to do so in a safe and orderly way. Uh, we're in consultation, I say, with our allies and partners and how to proceed. And Secretary Blinken is meeting in Brussels this week with our NATO allies, uh, particularly those who have forces there. And General Austin has just met with Kayani, and I'm waiting for the briefing on that. He is the, the, uh, the leader, quote, in Afghanistan and Kabul. And uh, there's a U.N.-led process that's beginning uh, shortly on how to mechanically get people, how to end this war. But it is not my intention to stay there for a long time. But the question is, how and in what circumstances do we meet that agreement that was made by President Trump to leave under a deal that looks like it's not being able to be worked out to begin with, how, how, how's that done? But we are not staying a long time. You just said if we leave. Do you think it's possible that we We could... will leave. The question is when we leave. Do you...
0: Sorry, do you believe, though, it's possible we could have troops there next year?
1: I, uh, I, I can't picture that being the case.
0: It's not my intention for us to stay there for a long time. Uh, tactically, we can't get out by May 1st because we haven't had long enough, you know, 20 years. We just haven't had long enough to get out. Can you can you believe this? And by the way, to be fair to Biden, we've got to be fair. Uh, this is, you know, this is Bush. This is Obama. This is Trump. Now it's Biden. But tactically, tactically, we can't leave by May 1st why 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 couldn't we have left last year or the year before this is a bunch of bullshit it's always been a bunch of bullshit there's no reason that we can't leave i don't honestly i don't even think they're pretending to give a reason why we're still there if you you know cre- you know it's it's rare But credit to the Washington Post. They did a story, I think it was last year, deep dive investigation. They got evidence and they got documents that showed literally we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years. Generals don't even think it's winnable. They don't even know why we're there. The Washington Post revealed that literally it was coming down from the top in Washington. Two generals spend $3 million a day. What for? It doesn't matter. Just spend it. We don't have money for health care in this country. We don't have money for pre-K. We don't have money uh, for environmental programs. We don't have money for childhood nutrition. We don't have money for fill-in-the-blanks, $15 minimum wage, you name it. But we have $3 million a day to give to Afghanistan. I'm sorry. I, I understand Afghanistan a poor country. I understand all these countries are poor countries. But how about our poor country? I mean, this is beyond gaslighting. This is literally lying. Make no mistake. His answer is very basically telling you, yeah, no, we're not getting out of Afghanistan. Status quo, same old, same old. That's what that answer is. We're not getting out of Afghanistan. So, I mean, at a certain point, anybody, anyone in the press going to ask, why are we still in Afghanistan? By the way, by the way, what the you know um, AUMF authorization for uh, military force uh, hasn't it kind of run out? The the purpose was let's get Bin Laden. Uh, that was eleven years ago. This is insane, insanity. He's you know this is this answer ain't going to be covered tonight. This answer, you know, he's not going to get any grief for staying in Afghanistan, because why would he? Raytheon's happy. Lockheed Martin's happy. Northrop Grumman, I always mispronounce it. Northrop Grumman, they're happy. Boeing, all of them. By the way, the banks are happy because the banks are heavily invested in all of these defense contractors and all of this equipment and all of these planes. Everybody's happy while seven years later, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Do you know that? Because that wasn't asked in this press conference. Hey, President Biden, any thoughts on the fact that on April 25th, 2021, coming up, Flint, Michigan, seven years, has, had not, has not had clean water? How about East Chicago, Indiana has a lead crisis? How about Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Mississippi has a water crisis right now? How about there's a PFAS disaster? PFAS. Cancer-causing chemicals that, are fa- that come as a byproduct of the manufacturing of Teflon, you know, the nonstick cookware. PFAS being found in all over the country in water bodies causes reproductive problems among women, causes uh, cancers. Not a question. Not a worry. We got we to gotta stay in war. War is good for business. What did Eisenhower say or somebody said? It's a racket. A lot of questions about the migrant crisis, not a lot of questions about the economic crisis uh, and the basic evic- looming eviction and uh, foreclosure apocalypse. Let's hear what he had to say about that.
1: I should be flattered. People are coming because I'm the nice guy. That's the reason why it's happening, that I'm a decent man or however it's phrased. That, you know, that's why they're coming, because no, Biden's a good guy. Truth of the matter is, nothing has changed. As many people came, 28% increase in children to the border in my administration, 31% in the last year of in 2019, before the pandemic, in the Trump administration. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. In addition to that there is a and nobody and by the way does anybody suggest that there was a 31 percent increase under trump because he was a nice guy and he was doing good things at the border that's not the reason they're coming the reason they're coming is that it's the time they can travel with the least likelihood of dying on the way because of the heat in the desert number one number two they're coming because of the circumstances in country, in country. The way to deal with this problem, and I started to deal with it back when I was a United States senator, I mean, uh, vice president, putting together a bipartisan plan of over 700 million dollars to do with the root causes of why people are leaving. What did Trump do? He eliminated that funding.
0: So, yeah, how about that? Now, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this particular issue because I'm not. But what I do know through American history, he talks about we need to examine why it is these people need to leave their country and why these people's countries are so messed up and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Any journalists want to mention the drug war that the United States has inflicted on most of these countries? Is that kind of persona non grata to bring up? The fact that the U.S. has caused, not solely, but the U.S. has caused a lot of economic, social corruption in these countries. Honduras, Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador. I mean, the list goes on. Again, I don't want to pass myself off as an expert on the issue. But, I mean, it's kind of obvious, kind of obvious so this is like you know this is like the thing for reparations. You know the Democrats always say, well you know I think we need a committee here. I definitely think we could use a committee to study uh, represent, uh, rep- reparations. And he's saying, yeah I think you know I, I've I've put. She said later, which I'll show you that clip. Uh, I, I definitely think uh, we need to. Uh, I'm going to put. Vice President Kamala Harris on this to kind of figure out what's going on with these countries and why are they flooding out and what do we need to do? Uh, Just read a book, President Biden, or, you know, a documentary or whatever. By the way, Biden has been for and voted for and pushed policies that only intensified the drug war in a lot of these countries. Also, Biden and the Democrats, with Republican help, have been very, very quick to prop up and support these brutal, uh, corrupt leaders and dictators of a lot of these countries. But then they act surprised that they're all flooding through extreme weather, you know, going through the desert, going through uh, dangerous seas to try to get to this country. You're the one, we are the ones damaging these countries. It's not only because of the U.S., but we certainly have poured gasoline on the fire and helped light the fire. But again, none of these journalists are actual journalists per se. They're not there to ask tough follow-ups. They're not there to like actually point out badly needed context. No, 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 no. that's That's not what this is. Definitely not. If you're watching this press conference, Biden said... Yeah, I'm planning on running in 2024. Did did you watch this press conference and think this person is going to be able to get through another campaign? Another campaign that, if all goes well, uh, you know, he won't be in his basement. He'll have to campaign. Does anybody watching this think? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude or crass, but as the press conference went on, it, it's, it's very clear that he... He's struggling. He's struggling. I don't know how else to say it. I'm not a doctor. I'm not playing doctor. I'm not diagnosing him with anything. But it was clear during the campaign, and it's abundantly clear now, he's not all there. I mean, I frankly, at this point, I think it's irresponsible for the journalists that don't say anything and pretend that he's sharp as a marble. So let me play you this clip because I think it was a pretty clear— uh, kind of acknowledgement of they're trying to give Harris more foreign policy bona fides and why would you give a candidate why would you want to give a candidate or a politician more of a resume in the foreign policy arena let's take a look
1: the idea that I'm going to say which I would never do that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border we're just going to let him starve to death and stay on the other side No previous administration did that either, except Trump. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's why I've asked the Vice President of the United States yesterday to be the lead person on dealing with focusing on the fundamental reasons why people leave Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador in the first place. It's because of earthquakes, floods, It's because of lack of food. It's because of gang violence. It's because of a whole range of things.
0: So there you have it. I'm assigning Harris to handle the crisis in these countries. Come on. It's politics 101. The Democratic Party, before Biden ran, frankly, even dating back to when Harris ran as a senator in 2016, they've been grooming frankly, this empty vessel to be the future. Her and little Petey. Uh, I don't want to diminish the fact I don't agree with Harris's politics. She's clearly bought off like the rest of them. I think it is a good thing and historic that we have a female vice president, a woman of color. I think those are all good things. So I think two things could be true. We don't need to like the politician. We could say she's corrupt. Look at her donors. It speaks for itself. But Good thing that we are breaking these barriers, having a woman, having a person of color, uh, you know, one seat away from the presidency. I would be all for having a a woman president. I'm for it. I just wish it was Nina Turner. I just wish it was somebody not named Kamala Harris whose politics are terrible. She's an empty vessel. She ain't going to fight for anything for people. hell. She, she, she's, moonwalked again, she's moonwalked away from pretty much every populist progressive thing she's ever said she was for. She jumped on the bandwagon with Bernie when Bernie introduced the Medicare for All bill, I believe in 2017. She jumped on because she was already eyeing, eyeing a run for president. Then she announces her run for president. I I you not, literally like 24, 48 hours after she announces, she says in a CNN town hall, yep, get rid of private insurance for Medicare for All. Holy cow. I, if only only we were there as a fly on the wall to see how many phone calls she got from donors and pissed off neoliberals. Then all of a sudden, she starts peeling it back. She starts moonwalking faster than Michael Jackson. All of a sudden, oh boy, we're, I'm not for Medicare for All per se. I'm for like a Medicare for All that will come in 10 years but not get rid of private insurance. then I can't really explain it because it's this convoluted, weird thing that she's put together. You remember that Medicare for All policy that she proposed that would be enacted in like 10 years? Then, what, before she was picked as Biden's vice, vice president, she actually signed on to calls and a bill for $2,000 a month. Then, when Biden, when she gets on Biden's ticket, ooh, quiet as a mouse. So this isn't exactly somebody who necessarily stands for anything per se. We all know Walker Bragman just did another great story about her role as Attorney General of California, basically propping up corrupt police, keeping innocent people in jail. So this is basically your card-carrying neoliberal Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Biden-approved Democrat. And, and the thing that they love about Kamala Harris, and I'm just keeping it real, might get me in trouble, is her, her level of empty vesselness. I just created a phrase, empty vesselness. Uh, y- all you got to do is, ugh, racist, ugh, sexist, ugh, racist, sexist. If she becomes president, forget it. There will be zero policy discussion because every criticism, every journalistic criticism, whether it's a journalist, whether it's a commentator, whatever, racism, you're going after the first black female president, how dare you? Doesn't matter who she takes money from. Doesn't matter how corrupt she is. Doesn't matter how many policies she abandons. Black, female, done. Can't criticize her. Doesn't even matter, frankly. If you find corruption on her, my guess is the national media wouldn't want to touch it. But make no mistake about it, Biden isn't, like, putting Kamala Harris in to handle these countries because, like, she's so wonderful at diplomacy and crisis, and a crisis, He's doing it because the Democratic Party and the bosses said, hey, we've got to beef up her foreign policy credentials because, you know, she's next. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? We got to beef up her foreign policy credentials because do you see the guy speaking right now?